Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, registered dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey guys, Erin here. I am doing my first ever solo cast without Kyle. She is traveling right now. And um, there were some listener questions that I wanted to get to. We've got some really great interviews lined up, but today is all about you guys and responding to the questions that came in. Normally, I record upstairs in my office, um, but I'm down in my living room right in front of the pellet stove because it's so comfy, but it's really loud. So I'm hoping that the audio is all right for this episode. Um, If not, my apologies, but just know that I'm extremely toasty warm while I'm recording this. So as you've probably seen on Instagram or my newsletters, I'm in the midst of my um, workshop tour, my fall tour, if you will, and um, traveling around teaching workshops all about detoxification. And um, it's kind of an interesting one because the way that I pick workshop topics, so I usually pick about one a year, like one major topic to dive into. And... um, I go around and I I teach and lecture all about that topic. Last year was gut health, and you guys still have access to that workshop. It's on my website, by the way. If you go to uh, Aaron Holt Health forward slash events, you can buy a a professional recording of that workshop um, and learn all about it and get a PDF to go with it. Um, But this year, I I base it off of what I'm seeing. So what I'm seeing um, in my nutrition programs, what people are telling me, what I'm seeing with my one-on-one clients what the heck is going on with people. And I've been hearing a lot about general fatigue. So everybody's like, I'm fatigued, I'm tired, I don't have energy, and also brain fog. So I have to start to ask, like, what the heck is going on? Why is everybody experiencing these symptoms? And then I get the added benefit of of seeing things clinically, right? So I work with private clients and I get to see intake forms and I get to ask more questions and I get to see labs. So what I'm seeing is a really impaired ability um, to handle life toxins. So it's like our hepatic um, detoxification systems are off and toxins start to accumulate in our body and it really affects a lot of symptoms. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that a lot of people don't understand it or they don't think it's a big deal or they hear the word detox and they sort of write it off as a fad, right? I think the whole concept of detoxification has really been sucked up into diet culture where we think of like Gwyneth Paltrow doing a green juice cleanse, or we think of like a 30 day nutritional cleansing system that costs us $400 a month and actually provides us little to no benefit from a detoxification standpoint, right? It's like these really restrictive, 
uh, juice cleanses or fasts, you know, like I'm thinking of the master cleanse or whatever, right? And so we kind of write it off. It loses its validity. Um, we think about it as a fad. And I, I think that's so unfortunate because detoxification is such a necessary part of our overall health. And it's too bad that it's been um, taken over by the diet industry. It, you know, it's like we see a celebrity on Instagram drinking like a special detox tea showing off her flat belly. And we're like, oh, I guess that's what I need for detoxification. But it's so it's so much more than that. Um, it's really a whole systems approach. And if we do things to support those systems and to support detoxification pathways, not just some crazy restrictive diet, but true general support and upkeep, then we can reduce our symptoms. And that, that involves everything from chronic fatigue, muscle pain, chronic constipation, to fibromyalgia, hypothyroidism, and even hormonal balance. So this stuff really, really matters. You know, if I think about all the chronic ailments that I see in my practice every single day, a lot of it boils down to, well, all right, we, gotta, we might need to start with what's going on with your detoxification. So I heavily encourage you guys to come check out these workshops. Even if you think you don't need to detox, or even if you think, eh, I'm living a pretty healthy life, you'll still learn so much. I mean, it's three hours of just like, honestly, just picking my brain. And that's sort of another thing I want to bring up. I get so many um, emails or Facebook messages or um, you know DMs or whatever from people reaching out, asking to pick my brain. and you know, come to my one-on-one workshops. That is the best way to do it. You have like direct FaceTime with me. And again, even if you think that that you, you don't really care about detox or the liver, we talk about so much more than just that. I mean, we were talking just on Saturday, we were talking about thyroid health, Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, um, adrenal fatigue, gut health, um, and we talk about how all of those things can lead to brain fog, um, how they can lead to low energy and how they're all interrelated with detoxification. So that's another thing. Um, I don't always have the time or the capability to respond to every single message that I get. Um, and I certainly cannot give out medical advice or health advice to somebody that I'm not working with directly, uh, certainly not somebody just across the internet. Um, and that's, that's something that I think would be really beneficial to you guys, like show up to a workshop, just show up, you know, I think so many of us get really overwhelmed with our health and we feel discouraged and we just need help. We almost feel like needy or desperate. And I, I get that because I've been there and I go through seasons of being there. So I truly understand reaching out to somebody and asking for help, um, but understand that I can only meet you halfway, right? I can only meet you as far as you're willing to go. And a lot of people that reach out to me haven't worked with me. They haven't done my nutrition programs. They haven't shown up to a workshop. So show up, you know, show up and ask all the questions and uh, get all of your answers. So another way to do that, I know that obviously not everybody is local, um, if you're interested in working with me and, and you think you could benefit from some functional nutrition work, but you're not totally sure, you still have some questions, get on my website, go to Aaron Holtz Health forward slash membership. And what you can do is sign up for a 30 minute inquiry call. It's totally free. Um, I can hear your backstory. I can hear your health story and I can determine if 
if it's something that I can help with. And you can ask more questions about how I work. And again, another opportunity to, to pick my brain. So with that out of the way, let's jump into our first question. This came to me um, from Instagram. Hey, have you ever seen Cheating Death on Netflix? There's an episode on detox, and he's basically saying that it's all BS and that the only detox you need is done naturally by your liver, and there is no scientific proof that any cleanse or juice can improve this. I was shook and confused and annoyed with him. I don't believe in going on juice benders for weeks, but I love learning about detoxes to reset my gut health. In short, I need to come to one of your classes. Word up, girl. Yes, you do. Um... One thing I want to point out there, just because of the way that she phrased this question, detoxification and gut health are interrelated. There's a lot of overlap there. You can't have proper detoxification if you don't have good digestive health, um, if you don't have a good healthy microbiome, because we do rely on the intestines to eliminate toxins and we rely on bacteria to help us detoxify them. But doing a detox is not the same thing as a gut reset. Um, supporting detox and supporting gut health can be two completely different things. Um, so I just want to point that out. So they're not, you know, when I'm talking about detoxification, I'm not necessarily talking about, um, a gut quote unquote reset. So, um, I have not seen this show. I've never even heard of it actually, but so I can't speak to exactly what he's saying since I haven't watched it and I don't know all the context or really any of it. But based on what this uh, listener wrote in with, I can say that that he's partly right and he's partly wrong because detoxification is a fundamental process of all your cells. It's happening all the time. Um, and if your body's detoxification systems are working properly and appropriately, then they will get rid of whatever toxins you come in contact with in your day-to-day -day life. So really our main goal in supporting detoxification is just to get the body to do its job because left to its own devices, your body is pretty, um, pretty darn smart and can, can do its job pretty darn well. The problem, so he's right in that sense, right? The problem, and this is where he's wrong, is that we are absolutely bombarded with toxins in our everyday modern life. I think there's like 80,000 different chemicals in our environment today, most of which didn't even exist like 100 years ago, right? So these are new things that are introduced annually. There's a couple thousand introduced to our environment every single year, and most of them aren't even tested for human safety right? So that's a problem. We don't know how they, they're interacting with our body. And even if a chemical is safe, considered safe for human health outside the body, well, what the heck happens when it gets into our body, when it gets metabolized? And what happens when it comes in contact with other chemicals, right? What happens then? It's this, this whole cocktail effect, and we're really not sure about it. We, we don't have a whole lot of answers. We don't know what's going on inside the body when this like chemical storm happens. Um, but the one thing that we do know, and many, many, many health practitioners and researchers will agree with this, one thing we do know is that toxins have a much larger role in the development of chronic disease than we realized in the past. So it's something that we absolutely have to pay attention to. Um, you guys know that I went, I, I studied last year, same, uh, Kyle and I were in the program for integrative and functional nutrition, and we 
there's a lot of lectures that we had to listen to and a lot of research papers that we had to read and a lot of different books and all that kind of stuff. And the, the one thing that every single practitioner said, whether they were a doctor or a nutritionist, um, one thing that every single person said and pointed out was was our detoxification and environmental toxicity. So that tells me that, okay, this is a huge thing. And even if the average person isn't aware of it right now, they will be. They will be in five years or in 10 years. We cannot ignore this anymore. So it's part of my mission to, to spread the information, right? To sort of take back the whole idea from of detox from the diet industry like nope you don't get to you don't get to run this show anymore and say here's the truthful information and here's how you can coexist in this environment with a healthy body or at least do your best to safeguard against it and so that's so much of what I go I go into in these in these workshops um you know so so he's partly right in that, sure, the liver can just do its its job if it has all the right resources. But the, the problem is, is that it's being inundated over and over again with toxins. And we're also not providing it with the resources that it needs to do its job. And so uh, the workshop really teaches how to how to do that. There are other things, not just environmental toxins, but other things in our modern life that that weigh down on the liver, uh, processed foods, sugars, unhealthy fats, medications, pesticides and herbicides like glyphosate found in Roundup, um, and even emotional stress that can take its toll on detoxification and on the liver health and on on different pathways in the body. Um, so we, we have an influx of things that are really hard on the liver. And then we're kind of bogging down our ability to take care of those things and eliminate those things. Um, I had mentioned hepatic detoxification earlier. And what that really looks like, it looks at is what's going on with not only your liver, but also the gallbladder. So we think of detox, we think of the liver, but there are really so many other integral parts of detoxification. It's much more of a whole systems approach. Now we did an episode specifically on detoxification last, I think last winter. I don't know the, I don't know the exact uh, episode number, but you can go, go check that out. And I, I talk more about the whole specific process of what detox is and how it works in your body. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely go check out that episode. Um, but just understand it's more than just liver. Um, and another thing that's getting affected by our modern day toxicity is, is the gallbladder. And when this happens, it impacts our bile. And bile is something that I really haven't talked about much on the show, but it's kind of like this unsung hero when it comes to detoxification. Um, and even when it comes to our gut health and our weight, uh, bile is extraordinarily important and we don't really hear a whole lot about it and how to support it. So let's go into that a little bit um, on today's show. So to back up a step, bile is, it's secreted, it's created in, in the liver and then the gallbladder stores it. So both liver and gallbladder are necessary for, um, for bile synthesis. Bile is necessary for breaking down our dietary fats. So when we eat fat, the, uh, the gallbladder releases bile into the intestine through the bile duct. And we need this in order to absorb our fatty acids. Uh, we need it to absorb fat soluble vitamins like vitamin A, vitamin K, vitamin E, even vitamin D. Um, all of those fats 
are are necessary for building hormones. So if we if we're not able to digest our fat, that's a that's a big time problem. That's something that needs to that needs to be looked at. Um, I did a I'm always talking about my poop on the show. I feel like um, so I'll just keep going with that. Um, I did a, a stool test. My favorite stool test is a GI map. That's what I run on a lot of my clients. And I did it on myself last spring and noticed that my I had a lot of fat in my stool. So that tells me like I'm not I'm not breaking down my fat. What is going on? So it's like moving right through me. So I, I have to I have to start to pay attention to what's going on along the the digestive tract and um, you know, and even potentially detoxification to to start to get to the bottom of that. And that's something that I see relatively um, common in my, um, in some of my clients. So just throwing that out there as a little anecdote. Um, So we need to be able to absorb our fats, obviously, or else other things suffer. And if your fat isn't getting digested properly, then the fat globules can basically go back um, can go into your bloodstream and get stored as body fat too. So from a, you know, from a weight standpoint, we also want to make sure that we have um, appropriate bile release. Um, and we need, when it comes to detoxification, we need free flowing bile to detoxify and to flush out all of the toxins that your liver processes. So after phase one and phase two detox, bile basically grabs the junk. Whatever your liver is trying to get rid of, it's going to go into the bile and then the bile grabs it, pulls it into the intestines and you poop it out. So if your bile is is not, if, if your bile is thick, if you're not um, if the gallbladder isn't super healthy, if the bile is thick, if it's not free flowing, then toxins will get stored in the body rather than eliminated. And obviously that's a really big deal. And when we store a lot of toxins, when we're holding onto them in the body rather than get rid of them, this is when our body burden starts to build. And our body burden is, it's basically looking at like how many toxins are in our body at any, any given time. And we know that the higher the body burden, there's more risk for um, symptoms and and chronic disease. So if we're holding on to a lot of toxins, our bodies get sick. Um, It might manifest in different ways for different people. It might look like GERD, acid reflux, arthritis, joint inflammation, hormonal imbalance, obesity, autoimmunity, hypothyroidism, or even something else. But um, we need to be able to clear these toxins out of our body. And if there's a hang up with bile, there's a hang up with detoxification. Um, so what what do we do in order to improve bile synthesis? There's a number of different things, but one thing I'm going to talk about on the show because it's so easy to do is to eat bitters, right? Bitter, the, the taste of um, something bitter stimulates not only the release of bile, but it also helps to get other digestive juices flowing. So it helps to get your saliva going, which starts to break down carbohydrates in your mouth. It gets hydrochloric acid going, which is so important um, in the stomach. It can trigger the release of pepsin and pancreatic digestive enzymes. All of these things are so important for uh, for digestion. If they're not happening, then you're not digesting your food. Even if you're eating like a squeaky clean diet, if this, if this process is off, then you don't get to access the nutrition in that food. So super duper important. Um, according to Anne Louise Gittleman, she is 
like the OG of nutrition. Um, she's written like 1.5 million books, I think is the exact number. Um, but she has a new book out called Radical Metabolism. And she, in this book, something that I didn't know, I just learned is that she says that bitters may also increase the tone of your lower esophageal sphincter or your LES. Um, and that is extremely important in cases of heartburn, reflux, and GERD, which you guys, I see all the freaking time with my clients um, and in my, my folks in my online nutrition programs, constant heartburn. Um, and so what happens is that these people are being put on PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, and or other acid-blocking drugs, and they stop the production of stomach acid, right? Those, that's what those drugs do. And even taking things like Tums and antacids are doing the same thing. It's trying to neutralize the stomach acid. And that's actually a really bad thing from a digestive and a health standpoint, because if we don't have stomach acid, we don't trigger the release of bile. We don't break down our proteins and other foods, and we can't defend ourselves from pathogens as well. If you think about it, when we eat food, we're taking the outside world and we're bringing it in. And there's so much risk for, um, for pathogens and bacteria and other you know, negative things to come in on the food that we're eating and your, your hydrochloric acid, your stomach acid is the first line of defense against that. So it's so important to have sufficient stomach acid. And when we're taking these drugs to halt the production of it, it's going to be a, a problem long-term. Um, when we, we look at heartburn and we look at chronic heartburn, it's not usually an issue of too much stomach acid. It's actually an issue, more of a muscular issue. Um, that LES, that sphincter muscle is weak. So if we can do something to tonify that, that's incredible. That's awesome. Um, so bitters might be one way to do that. And, um, unfortunately we don't really have access to much bitter taste in our modern diet. You know, we have lots of sugar, we have lots of sweets. We've sort of trained our taste buds toward the sweet, you know, towards the sweet department. Um, we have a lot of carbohydrates in our diet that breaks down to sugar. As I mentioned before, um, saliva contains enzymes. We have salivary amylase, which starts to break down carbohydrates in our mouth and we immediately access that sweet taste. So if you're eating a lot of bread, pasta, you know, all that kind of stuff, even if it's not like overtly sweet, it still breaks down to sweet in the mouth. And so you're, you're triggering your sweet sensors. And even our healthy food um, is super sweet. Fruit in this country is specifically designed and grown to be sweeter than it was in in the past. If you eat, um, you know, I, I was just eating some heirloom apples and they're so much less sweet than the, the sort of like grocery store variety, right? Or um, eating certain heirloom, what, what was I just eating recently? Oh, um, uh, carrots, heirloom carrots. And I don't, I don't peel my carrots. Um, I try not to peel my vegetables for the most part. And because the, the peel of vegetables and fruits contain, contain bitter. And I was eating it thinking, oh, okay. So these are way different than the, the carrots that I'm getting in the grocery store or baby carrots. They're so much more sweet. Um, and, and the, the older varieties, I guess, have some more bitter taste. Hopefully that's making sense. Normally at this point, I'd say to Kyle, is that making sense to you? And then she would say yes or no. Anyway, moving along. So point is we don't have much bitter in our modern diet. And 
that is something that we can pretty easily correct and rectify. That's one thing that I'm trying to do right now. It's to retrain my taste buds and my tongue sensors for more bitter um, by just including a lot more bitters into my diet. Because I personally, I do have a problem with hepatic detox. I do have a problem with bile synthesis. I do have uh, some issues with fat digestion. So this is one of the ways that I'm, I'm trying to change things around um, and hopefully you know, get myself back on track. Chronic constipation, I've, I've struggled with that all of my life. And um, that's another thing that thick, sticky, bile can um can lead to is chronic constipation so i know a lot of my ladies deal with that so that's another thing that you can think about is correcting um or helping to establish more bile flow so let's talk about some specific foods that do contain bitters um so i always think first about the bitter greens so arugula endive radicchio even when i think about radicchio in my head like my my whole face puckers up because it's so bitter uh watercress is another great one dandelion greens um so funny not funny like haha but like funny just sad i guess so not funny at all actually um but dandelion greens are so like such an, a potent source of nutrition right anti-cancer bitter like just just so good and think about what we do with them we're like constantly trying to kill them off with with by spraying our lawns with weed killers like roundup which contains glyphosate right and glyphosate is so bad from a number of different reasons. But one of the things glyphosate does is it impairs our ability to detoxify. So it's a, a toxin that actually shuts down detoxification. So instead of like hosing nasty chemicals all over your lawn, maybe stop for a moment and instead harvest the dandelion. So the dandelion greens you can eat in a salad, you can saute them up. And dandelion root is really is another better and super awesome for detoxification as well. Um, so these are like incredible little nutritional gems um, that we don't want to kill. We want to eat instead. And so all of those those um, those bitter greens, you can eat them raw. So you can put them in salads. You can cook them, or you can even juice them. If you're introducing, if you have a juicer, that's an awesome way to do it. And a little bit goes a long way. So you don't have to eat a ton of these bitter foods. Just start to work them into your everyday diet. Um, another, another way to get bitters in is through citrus peels. So I just did a story about this on my Instagram stories. You might have seen it. But um, one way to do it is you can buy uh orange or lemon citrus peel dried so you can go to the health food store and go to their bulk section and they usually have organic dried citrus peel and some of them are like in bigger chunks and some some of them are ground up but either way you can grind them up in a coffee grinder and make a, a powder um, you always want to use organic when you're doing citrus peels always 100% of the time organic and what you can do with that powder is sprinkle it in soups you can um, blend it into smoothies you can put it into teas and it just helps to attune your taste buds and your tongue sensors to those bitter flavors they're also a wonderful source of a number of different other you know antioxidants and other things um, back in the day probably like three years ago i wrote a blog post on why um why you should eat citrus peels or you know 
uh, use citrus zest. So you can go find that on my blog. I'll link to it in the show notes. It gives you some ideas of how to include it into your diet. Um, you can also make your own by, so after you peel, say like a grapefruit or an orange or a lemon, cut up those peels into smaller pieces and allow them to dehydrate. If you have a dehydrator, you can just pop them in there or just leave them out, um, in like a window or something for a few days and they'll dry up. And then you can grind those up in your, in your, um, coffee grinder as well. So, and make that powder that I was just talking about. So those are just some some fun little tips. Um, dandelion root tea is another great way to get bitter in. I brew mine really strong, so I do it two ways. One, I get dandelion root. I can I buy it in bulk at the health food store and just make a tea that way. Or if you don't want to do that, you can buy like traditional medicinals, dandelion root tea, and brew it. I brew mine really, really strong. So I'll do like two, two uh, tea bags in one mug, and then I'll let it um, what's it called? I'll let it sit for like 10 minutes. So by the time I drink it, it's really strong. It's bitter. It's almost, it almost tastes like coffee. Um, so many coffee replacements like Ticino and, and those kind of things are made with dandelion root because it has that bitter flavor like coffee has. Um, so that's, that's another thing. I've been drinking a lot of dandelion root tea and I'm starting to crave it. It's interesting. The more bitter, I work into my diet, the more I notice I start to crave it. Um, I have it right now. I'm, I'm sipping on a tea that I made with dandelion root and shisandra berries. I got them both at the health food store. You can get these things if you don't have access to a health food store. Portsmouth health food store, if you're local, is great. Also, the mustard seed here in Nottingham, where I live, um, those are both great places to get bulk herbs and spices. But you could also go online at uh, Mountain Rose Herbs is another really great place to get herbs and spices and all these things that I'm talking about in bulk. They also sell essential oils. Um, I don't want the essential oils police to come out and and murder me, but um, it's another really great way to get essential oils for far cheaper than you can get them other places. Just saying, just throwing it out there as an option. Um, so one thing that I really like to do is make sort of an elixir. And I, I've posted different variations of this on on my website, or excuse me, on Instagram, but I'll brew that dandelion tea and then I'll add some raw cacao powder. So cacao is another, another bitter. And I'll add a little bit of that citrus peel, maybe like a quarter to a half teaspoon. So not much, a little bit goes a long way. And I'll blend it with maybe some coconut cream or coconut milk just to get it a little like fatty and frothy. And that is just a delicious drink. I try not to add too much sweetener. I might add a drop or two of stevia extract. But one thing that you want to pay attention to is that you don't want the sweet to overpower the bitter because then you don't get the benefit of the bitter. You want to be able to taste the bitter. So um, as I mentioned, coffee is another bitter, which is great if you're drinking your coffee every day. That's a one way to get bitters in. Um, but if you're adding sugar to your coffee or you're adding anything sweet to your coffee, you're not getting the, the benefit of the bitter. And the same thing is true for chocolate and cacao. It doesn't count as a bitter if it's, if it's sweet. If the sweet flavor like is the most predominant flavor, you're not getting the benefit of the bitter. Um, okay. There's a bunch of other ones, but those are so, so those are some of the big ones. Turmeric is another one. So you could juice turmeric, cook with turmeric, um, throw turmeric in smoothies, all that jazz. And, um, if you want to do go more of the supplementation route, you can buy, 
uh, digestive bitters. One that I like is from Gaia Herbs. It's called Swedish Bitters. And um, I all the, the supplements I'm about to talk about, you can get on my online dispensary. So just a heads up there. I'll link to that in the show notes because I know I'll I always get questions like, where can I buy that? And what specific one do you, are you talking about? So I'll be sure to link to those. But this particular uh, bitters, it's it comes in a tincture. So it's you take like a dropper full of it, you add it to water, and you want to drink it anywhere 20 to 30 minutes before your meals because that's going to help to stimulate the production of bile and your other gastric juices. So you do want to make sure you're drinking it beforehand. And this particular one contains turmeric, milk thistle, wild yam root, dandelion root, gentian root, cardamom seed, fennel, ginger, uh, brown seaweed fronds, kelp seaweed, by the way, is another bitter taste. Um, Let's see what else is in here. Dulce, amla fruit extract, bitter orange peel, and anise seed. So those are all bitters. Um, another product that I like is from Apex Energetics. It's called Biomin, and it contains a bunch of nutrients and herbs to help the, stimulate the production of bile and to make sure you have healthy bile. And I would say with that one, don't ever buy, try to buy Apex Energetics products on Amazon because they're like three to four times what they normally cost. Apex really tries to regulate their products and make sure only practitioners are selling them. Um, So it's hard to find on the black market, if you will. Um, So I just want you to save your coin there. Don't don't buy that. I think on Amazon, it's like $60. And on my website, it's like 25, just to give you an example. And then another product is from Apex Energetics is called Hepato Synergy. And it's not, it has that Biomin product in it, but it also has three other products that are super helpful for um, hepatic detoxification for liver health and for everything that, um, I've been talking about. So just heads up there. If you're looking to go the supplement route, those are good ways to do it. All right. So hopefully I covered bile On to the next question. This is from Abigail Mommeyer. Definitely not saying that right. She says, hi, Aaron, still loving your podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts on intermittent fasting. And now fasting is something that I talked about in, um, in my workshop, in this detox workshop. And I taught one on Saturday and then got an email from somebody who is in attendance. And she wrote, I get confused with occasional calorie restriction and fasting that can be both good for health and longevity, Verse how not to send the body into stress, thinking it's being starved and not being good for the thyroid. What is the delicate balance? So all of these topics she mentioned were all discussed at length in the uh, in the workshop. Um, so that's why she's roping all that stuff in there. So I wanted to I did want to talk about intermittent fasting because it's so popular right now, and people are asking so many questions about it. And it's one of the topics that I cover in my carb compatibility project that my four week online program, um, I have a round running right now. And actually we're in next week, we're coming up on the intermittent fasting, um, section, but because it's so popular, um, it's kind of getting to almost like a fad level and with fads come problems. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with intermittent fasting. It's just when, when things get to fad sad, as we could often, oftentimes see, 
uh, problems with it. Um, for one, some experts will automatically dismiss fads unnecessarily simply because they're fads. Um, so people might miss out on the legitimate benefits, kind of like what I was talking about with the detox thing. Like people overlook it as just a fad, so then they miss out on all the potential like really good health benefits from supporting detoxification. Um, I always think about gluten. Um, as an example, despite the fact that it's well documented that gluten directly impacts the lining of the small intestine, many doctors and dietitians write it off as just a fat that should be ignored because it's gaining in popularity. And that really grinds my gears because I think, like, do your research is what I always think about. Like, just do your research. Don't just write something off because you disagree with it or don't write something off just because it's popular. The reason that it's popular could be because there's some merit to it. Not always, not all of the time, but sometimes, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so we have one camp that's kind of like, oh, fasting is stupid because it's a fad. And then we have the other camp who are like the fad evangelists that promise their approach is the one to save the world, right? Everybody is going to benefit from this approach. Um, and I think that's especially true if they're, uh, content is created for the consumer market with the intention of selling. Um, these are the folks that tend to present only evidence supporting their point of view while ignoring evidence that contradicts it. And that's a huge problem. Um, you know, I've talked about isogenics on the show before. You can totally go back and check out that episode where I go into a great more, more detail. But one of the things that isogenics uh, talks about. They so they have a 30-day program. They call it nutritional cleansing, and they say it supports detoxification. I say that's rubbish um, for a number of different reasons that I won't get into right here. But one thing they do is you fast one day a week. You go on a fast where you don't consume anything except for like I don't know weird supplements that come out of plastic tubs, um, and they they say oh it's so well researched, it's so well backed. But the research that they're promoting is done by the company itself. So, of course, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be supportive of intermittent fasting. It's going to be supported, supportive of fasting, which is sort of a conflict of interest, if you ask me. And it, it, you can cherry pick research. You can cherry pick studies to support exactly what you want to say, like all the time. So just because it's good for some people does not mean that it's good for other people just because it works Sometimes doesn't mean it works always. So just keep that in mind as we dive into um, the discussion about intermittent fasting today. I want to be sure to look at both sides of the coin because it can be awesome and it can be really not awesome. And it kind of depends on what's going on with you. Um, personally, I've, I've done intermittent fasting. Sometimes it works great for me. Sometimes I feel like I, I'll, I won't eat my breakfast till like 10 a.m. or something or like 11 a.m. and I feel great and I have like loads of energy in the morning. Um, but sometimes I try to do that when my body's not ready or my body doesn't, isn't, is like, nah, no, not today. And I'll do it anyway. And I feel like garbage. So I, this is especially true if I'm going through a lot of stress or I have a lot on my plate or I'm being more active, like uh, physically active. That's usually a good indication for me that it's not a good time to intermittent fast. Um, so anyway, I'll just, I'll just say that it's very, very uh, nuanced and contextualized. So let's look at what exactly intermittent fasting is and how you do it. 
So I'm going to call it IF. Um, that's what all the cool kids are calling it. So I'm going to go ahead and call it IF because it saves me like a lot of syllables. So IF is the practice of going for prolonged periods of time without eating. It's pretty straightforward. Um, it's fasting that you do intermittently. Um, it's also referred to as time-restricted feeding, which technically is a slightly different thing, but for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to just refer to them as one and the same. There's so many different ways to approach IF. You can skip your uh, meals, like skipping breakfast, like I just mentioned, or you can skip your dinner. It's basically shortening your eating window, meaning, um, or not always. So you can skip a full meal. That's one way to do it. Like I'm going to skip breakfast, but I'm going to eat lunch and dinner. Um, another way to do it is to skip dinner, but eat breakfast and lunch. So you're closing the gap on like your, your eating window, right? You're eating for less hours during the day. Another way is to just shorten that eating window, but cram all three meals into a shorter period of time. Or you can just go straight up fasting, like eating no food for a full day or even more. Um, so many different ways to approach it. Um, there is another approach that's sort of gaining in popularity. I keep hearing about it more and more called 5-2. And that is five days a week you eat normally. So you just kind of eat what you would normally eat. You don't restrict, you know, eat whatever. And then two days a week you restrict calories to 500 calories a day. And that sort of mimics some of the, the fasting. So number of different ways to do that. I want to be super duper, duper clear. This, this type of, of mentality um, around intermittent fasting might encourage some extreme behavior. Um, so that's like binging or over restriction, right? I'll talk about specific situations where IF is contraindicated, but a big one is any history of disordered eating because fasting can absolutely trigger old mindsets and old habits. So if you fall into this category, I say a hard no to intermittent fasting. Just like, just move right past it. Um, it is not for you. Because remember that the mental stress of any type of food approach or diet can absolutely outweigh the potential benefits. And if fasting feels like a stressor, like if you're looking at the clock and you're using the clock to gauge your hunger levels or like when you should eat, that's a problem. So many women are, are looking for more of an intuitive approach to eating. And if you're eating according to the clock, that is not intuitive eating. That is like the antithesis of intuitive eating. You're relying on an external factor to tell you what and when to eat, right? So let's say you're doing a time-restricted feeding where you're going to, like, you're going to start, you're not going to eat until 10 a.m. If at 8 a.m. you're starving or you're having symptoms of low blood sugar because you've got no gas in the tank, then you need to eat. You know, you need to just throw the idea of intermittent fasting out the window for that day. And I think that sometimes we have a hard time doing that when we approach any type of food program or any type of, like, new philosophy. We want to go all in. And we stop listening to our body's signals. And this is a scary place to be. So um, keep that in mind. Although there are many benefits, sometimes the, the mental stressors can outweigh those, those benefits. Um, so what are the, the potential benefits of intermittent fasting? We've got a lot of, quite frankly, there's a lot of research to support that it can be super helpful for improving cognition function, reducing brain inflammation, slowing the disease processes in the brain, um, helping, it might help to regulate blood sugar, um, improve insulin sensitivity, control blood lipids, 
reduce the risk of coronary disease, manage body weight, reduce the risk of cancer, reduce oxidative stress, improve biomarkers of disease. So that's a list that's pretty substantial. Um, keep in mind that most of the research has been done on rats and mice, but there's definitely anecdotal human evidence that supports these benefits, and I, I don't think those should be overlooked. So it can be really beneficial for a lot of folks. Of course, there are downsides. Um, there is some confusion with how exactly intermittent fasting works. Like, we're not 100% sure. Um, there, one of the reasons that it might work is because it's a stressor to the body. So fasting is a stressor to the body. But certain stressors can force your body to adapt and to grow stronger as long as resources and recovery are ample, right? So this might be the case for intermittent fasting. Your cells might respond to the stress of fasting in a similar way, which could be a good thing. Or it could not be a good thing. Um, I think most people that listen to the show are, are women. I think the primary audience is is female. So I'm going to cater this discussion to my female audience because the fact of the matter is that women and men respond to intermittent fasting very differently because our hormones are so different, right? Very different. Uh, female hormones um, and how best to support them through your diet is something that I go into a lot in my carb compatibility project. If it's something that you're really interested in learning more about and how to um, how to help establish good hormonal balance in your body through food, I would definitely consider jumping in on the next round of that because, because I think it's a really important thing. Um, but let me explain that hormonal, or excuse me, women's hormonal balance is particularly sensitive to how much, how often, and what we eat, okay? So we're really keyed into food. Um, female bodies are especially attuned to any threats to survival. Anything that threatens fertility is a stressor. Uh, women's bodies are biologically built for reproduction, right? And this is regardless of whether or not you ever want to procreate or conceive. As a woman, your body is happiest and healthiest when you have good hormonal balance, when you're fertile. That's when your body's like, yeah. Uh, the lack of fertility is a sign that something's off in your body and that needs to be paid attention to, right? That's a big freaking deal. So this is not just true from, from a, a baby-making perspective, but also for metabolism, for your weight, for mood, anxiety, depression, your energy levels, brain health, bone density, basically all of it. We need good hormonal balance to, to just function appropriately in, in life. Um, and so like I said, anything that threatens fertility is considered a stressor to the body. Well, what's one big thing that threatens fertility? Low energy diets, low calorie diets, food restriction, not getting enough food. Um, it not only reduces fertility in, in women, it, it tells your body like, hey, it's not safe out here. Um, our bodies are constantly trying to safeguard against that. So being too lean is actually a reproductive disadvantage. Um, and unfortunately, intermittent fasting can trigger hormonal imbalance in women. So that is a major, major downside for women. Um, this includes sex hormones like estrogen, but it also affects your stress hormones like cortisol, your adrenal glands, and your thyroid hormone. I mean, I see so much hypothyroidism, right? so much hypothyroidism in my in my practice and um 
you know, you have to think about these things when you attempt a, a dietary restructuring, if you will. Um, and another thing, if you're going to do intermittent fasting, you really don't necessarily want to pair time-restricted feeding with low calorie, right? So you want to eat the same amount of calories you normally eat in a given day, just in a shorter window of time. That's really what intermittent fasting is. And I think it gets often misunderstood as, um, as low calorie. It's not, it really shouldn't be for health purposes, especially as a woman, you're just closing the gap on how, like what time of day you're eating. It's not like reducing and restricting calories. So before even thinking about approaching intermittent fasting, you have to consider your own context. Fasting is absolutely a stressor. Nobody can question that. That is, that is a fact, Jack. It is a stressor to the body. Um, it can raise cortisol levels. So you have to ask, is your body prepared for that stress? Are you sleeping well at night? Is your life stress low? Can you make it from one meal to the next without getting hangry or headachy? Do you have good control over your blood sugar? It can be easier actually to intermittent fast when you're fat adapted and you have better insulin sensitivity and you have better control over your, um, your sugar metabolism, which is why many people begin to attempt intermittent fasting after being on a ketogenic diet or after being on a low carb diet. Um, again, that's something that I go into more detail into in my carb compatibility project, not something I'm going to talk about here, but just, just note, um, that I do kind of help you determine if intermittent fasting might be a good practice for you, uh, given, giving your own set of circumstances. But for now, just what I'll say is do not try intermittent fasting. If you're pregnant, if you have a history of disordered eating, if you're chronically stressed, if you don't sleep well, if you just started a new exercise routine or you're training for something, that's not the time to restrict your food. Um, if you're like trying something brand new, I always think like, don't try two brand new things all at once. Like give your body time to adapt to one change and then try something else. And also I don't think you should try it. If you're brand new to the whole world of eating real food, give yourself time to adjust before adding more to your plate. Right. And I think that's an important and maybe overlooked piece here because people write in asking about intermittent fasting, but if you're still eating a primarily high processed food diet, or you have poor control over your blood sugar regulation, or you're not sleeping well at night or whatever, then it's my opinion, at least based on the clientele that I see, that you really should get the basics down first. And then from there, you can dip your toe into intermittent fasting and see how your body responds. And the way to do that is to start low and go slow. So start with two days a week and two non-consecutive days a week. So for a woman, for your own physiology and your hormonal health, don't intermittent fast on back-to-back -back days. So give it at least a day in between and then try a 12-hour fast. So that would be you stop eating at, let's say, 7 p.m. And then you don't eat your breakfast. You don't eat again until 7 a.m. That's 12 hours later, right? And this could be a really great thing for digestive health. Kind of just give everything a break for a while. And usually that 12-hour window, obviously depending on the person, but that 12-hour window isn't enough to send somebody into like a hormonal tailspin, right? So that's a good, really good way to start. Now, it's not something you necessarily want to do every day, but start with two non-consecutive days a week and try that out. Now, if you're doing that for a few months and you're feeling really good on your intermittent fasting days, you can either increase 
um, fasting days. So maybe like do three days a week or four days a week, or you could increase your fasting time. You don't want to do both. You don't want to say, okay, well, I'm going to increase my fasting time up to 16 hours a day and I'm going to do it five days a week, right? You don't want to increase both at the same time. Try one or the other. Um, but you might find that, that the 12 to 13 hours is your sweet spot as a woman. You also don't want to do intense exercise on your fasting days. Stick to walking, stick to gentle yoga or, you know, you know, kind of depends on your, your physiology, but you don't want to do like a CrossFit style workout or interval training or anything really, really hard on the system. You want to keep the high intensity stuff for the days that you're not fasting. And I know it's a very popular thing right now um, to to do this fasting and then to throw exercise on top of it, but it's not going to get the results you want faster. It's not. I promise you it won't. Um, all right. So if you're going to try fasting, there are a couple of things that there are a couple of red flags that tell you this is not working for you and you want to stop doing it immediately. So things to look out for is if your menstrual cycle stops or becomes irregular. This is true for any food plan, anything that you're doing that's tweaking your food. If you stop menstruating, that is a red flag. That is a problem. That is a crisis for your body. If your body loses the ability to, to menstruate, that is like, it's like waving the white flag, being like, please, please stop. It, all the flags are being raised. Red, white, blue, green, I don't know, all of them. Um, if you have problems falling asleep or staying asleep, so if you notice any uh, sleep changes for the negative, that's your body's telling you, hi, I'm stressed out. I'm in a stress response. Please stop doing this to me. If your hair starts falling out, right? I've seen that quite a bit with low, like doing low carb and then um, coupling it with fasting. Hair starts falling out. Um, don't, you know, that's, that's not great. Um, if you start to develop dry skin, or acne, that could be a hormonal response telling you that something's something's up. Um, if you're finding that you're not recovering from your workouts easily, so you're just doing your normal workouts, but all of a sudden it's, you're feeling a lot more sore or fatigued afterward, that's usually an indication that you're not getting ample, adequate nutrition. Uh, this is another thing I talk about at length in my CARB program, so uh, check that out. If your injuries are slow to heal, um, if you notice that you're like catching all the bugs that go around, if your tolerance to stress decreases, right? If you start feeling like really irritable and cagey, that's how I know, that's one of my signs that, um, oh shoot, I shouldn't be intermittent fasting right now. This is not good for anybody, anybody around me because I just start getting like really short tempered, really impatient. And for me, it's more of a blood sugar regulation thing where I, I, my blood sugar drops too low. And then I'm just like, rah, rah, like a dungeon dragon. Um, if your mood starts swinging, kind of similar to what I was talking about, if you start getting heart palpitations, if your digestion slows noticeably, and if you always feel cold, those are all signs that your fasting protocol is probably not working for you. And again, this is going to probably be more true if you're not only fasting, but also restricting calories. So just be on the lookout for that. All right, you guys, 54 minutes I've been talking by myself into a microphone, and now it's time for me to go eat lunch. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will be back next time with a really cool interview. All right, bye. <laughs>
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you 